Welcome back to Parenting Unpacked. You're here with Siobhan Kennedy Costantini and Kristen Summer. I forgot to put the doctors on our name because you know what? I'm fucking sick of it. I feel pretentious. I feel like an imposter. People keep thinking that I'm a medical doctor or a clinical psychologist and like guys, clinical psychologists typically don't have doctor in front of their name unless they're super like impressive and did like a research clinical degree but anyways that's really beside the point I always tend to go off on tangents at the start of episodes Siobhan how are you? Hello I'm very well um yes we're doctors but we're not medical doctors and we're not clinical doctors so we're um academic researchers in child development so we're well versed in child development how kids learn grow physically uh, in terms of their cognitive and social and emotional and psychological development but no we can't fix anything else or much of anything the end the end With thank the you for coming to um, our podcast anyway, that is all we have for you today goodbye oh <laughs> <laughs> no um so we're just we're two friends who did our phds together who um often chat about did you hear the latest thing on insert social media? <laughs> and Kristen had the wonderful idea a couple of months ago to record it. And so that's what we do. And some of you like listening to it. And that's fun for us. So fun for us. Um, and today, Siobhan, we, I was on live this morning on TikTok and I was like, I don't know what we're talking about on today's episode. I really hope that Siobhan just like comes to me with a, with a topic. And you didn't, but that's okay because we came up with one while we were chatting in the last 30 seconds before we hit record. So this one is not a safe topic by any measure. No. A little controversial. Just a little bit. But you know what? Let's roll with it. Let's just, let's see what happens, hey? Um, so Siobhan. Okay, should we provide some context? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Do you want to provide it? <laughs> You're better spoken at this. I will try and you can, I can try, I'll, I'll try based on the very limited information I have and you can fill in the I gaps. also have limited information. So, <laughs> well, that's cool. So we're, we're two uninformed people come at, coming at you with some, some stuff. <laughs> feel free to correct us. We're very open mm. to being corrected. Mm. Um, and accept, like like true and good scientists, yes. we acknowledge and accept our failings yep. and correct when and where we can. Yep. So um, TikTok is a, um, can be a dumpster fire of drama, <laughs> um, which it is at the moment. Oh, always. I don't really TikTok. I have a TikTok. I haven't posted anything in months. Kristen has a TikTok. She posts regularly. Um, so there is a lady there who I have not interacted with personally whatsoever Kristen has her name is Ali Marie here um she is a devout Roman Catholic um and she from what I have heard has some problematic views that she has shared openly that um aren't held by you or I yes now we've spoken about Ali on the podcast briefly before um because like everyone is cancelling Ali and she was she came recommended to you Siobhan through another mum that follows you Mm. uh and I was like look it's a bit tricky talking about Ali because she's got a lot of drama behind her and she's not really a safe space for the LGBTQIA plus community. And I started my own level of drama um, by stitching a video of hers, knowing that she did that, but wanting to not join the cancel party because I feel like when you join the cancel party with someone with extremist views, it doesn't push them away from those extremist views. It cements them in those views. Helps them double yeah. down. And that yeah, kind of just absolutely. pushes them... It pushes their content out onto feeds because it's um, uh, it's dramatic and like people like engage on it. Of it's yeah, and that's always the stuff that spreads yeah. the fastest. So I was like, I don't want to start this cancel party. I want to just like you know work slowly towards like 
you know, educating. And for the most part, um, she has since now gone private on her page on TikTok, which is a big thing when you've got 200 plus thousand followers. Um, and she did that because she wanted to do, she says she wants to do the work of trying to understand the contradiction between her belief system and um, uh, the science or the popular opinion or whatever it is. And there's a lot that goes into this. Now, we're not tackling the science of LGBTQIA plus community today. I'm actually working to get a couple of people um, on the podcast. Um, I met someone yesterday, Siobhan, actually, who is amazing. She is a awesome. trans woman who is also doing a PhD in gender diverse identity. Hopefully, hopefully amazing. she um, wants to join us on the I'd podcast. Love to speak I with know. Her. She's so cool. Um, if she's, if she wants to, and she's comfortable. That's exactly what I said. And I was like, look, I'll help you with your research, like with recruiting and stuff. Cause I have huge reach. And if you want to help me, like you can, but there's no expectation. I'll help you regardless. Because like, you know, I'm all about using my platform to like progress science and yeah. like help people. I don't really care if I get anything in return. I just, and it's, it's an underfunded, oh, under-researched area. So does. more, more research is better. Yeah, and her work is on like, um, bettering clinicians as well and bettering their understanding of gender diverse identities. But we're not talking about LGBTQIA plus community members today. We're talking about religion and parenting because this whole like drama has kind of sparked this question of like, how does religion and parenting kind of intersect? How does religion come about? Why is it so geographically isolated? And like the hint here and the spoiler is that it's generally embedded by parent to child. Um, as most social learning and information mm. dissemination moves down the cultural lineage, cultural lineage, the generational lineage. Um, so I want to talk about that today because we realized, I didn't even know this about you, Siobhan, but you were raised in a very Catholic household. I was raised I in was. a Catholic school, but I didn't go to church very often. So we were like the lazy Catholics and I am now atheist. Um, so I'd love to talk to you about this, um, how your childhood looked, um, what your parents did and how you're navigating like what your faith is now and how you're navigating that with your own child. So tell me all about it. Yeah. Wow. Big question. And I don't have answers to all mm. of them, but let's explore anyway yeah. and chat. So um, as Kristen said, I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, I'm, my name is Siobhan. It's an Irish name. My last name is Kennedy. So um, we come from a long line of Irish Catholics, um, big families, I've got 40 plus extended people, uh, 40 plus people in my extended family who regularly catch up. It's chaos. There's children everywhere. It's wonderful. We're loud. Um, we express our emotions through anger. Um, and that's just how we do things. Um, so there's a lot of cultural baggage there. The Catholic guilt was never really a thing that I experienced, which mm. is great. I don't know whether that's like a me personally. I don't, I try not to do guilt. I don't really engage with mm. guilt as a concept. Mm -hmm. Um, as much as I can. There are exceptions. Um, but yeah, so I was raised in a Catholic family. There's five kids, two parents. We went to church every Sunday. We went to all the high holidays. Um, we were heavily involved in our church community. I um, went to, we kind of did Sunday school. Like there was children's mass mm -hmm. where basically in the morning, all the kids, mind you, we never went to it because it was only offered in the morning masses and my family, were not morning people. So we never went to the morning mass. But it was fun because we got to, as kids, um, scoot off and then draw pictures and then come back and show our pictures and everyone in the congregation clapped 
and we felt proud of our coloring. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That was wait, lovely. Wait, there's an afternoon mass? This is how bad of like a Catholic oh. I was. Yeah. No, no. I mean, every parish is different. Oh. So um, for Catholic churches, so parishes, like you have a church and it's usually suburb to suburb, but as the, as there are fewer people going to church, there's the suburb, like the parishes are bigger, they cover larger ground. But um, yeah, so my, growing up, there was, we had two churches, like two buildings in our parish. Um, so there was Saturday night mass and then Sunday morning mass and then Sunday night mass. You only ever went to one. Mm. Um, I mean, some, some people went to multiple, but they were That's crazy. A lot. Um, we went to one. We went. We usually went to Sunday night or Saturday night, because yeah, trying to wake up five children and get there by Ooh. eight. Or, that's not gonna happen. No. Um, we did it once or twice. My favorite time was when we went to the mass um, further afield because they didn't have any music, so it only lasted a half hour, and they had a clock on the wall. <laughs> so that's awesome. It was brilliant. You just it was it was in and out. Everyone like it was. We didn't go to that one too often because it was boring because there was no music. Yeah. Um, which when you're a kid, that's the only real fun part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what, what do you want to know? Okay, well, um, not so much about the math and the mass and the attendance of it, but I want to know how those Catholic sure, values, that makes sense. how those Catholic values like uh, kind of penetrated your parents' parenting of you. Did you ever have to do, I think Ooh. it's called first-time discipline. Like when I first, like someone was like, can you do a video on first-time discipline? Ooh. And I did some research on it. And I can't find much. I could just find some Catholic blogs. I've never heard well, of I this. I found some Catholic blogs and it was just like basically the same thing as gentle parenting. But when I posted the video saying when I found that, they were like, no, it is not. It is the expectation that your child obeys you regardless. There is no compassion. There is no empathy. There is no wide fields and solid fences, which is my favorite saying from Siobhan last week. I am all over that saying now. Um but there is none of that. It's just this expectation that the child will obey the very first time. And it's usually a very punitive punishment, even though it sounds like they're natural and logical consequences. It sounds like on the like outward facing blog. This is crazy. Well, yeah, it talk. sounds like on the outward facing blog, it's like, we're safe people. Like we are in line with like what everyone else is doing. And then like, everyone's like, that was not my experience of first time discipline. My experience was that I was like, punished and like little babies were like forced to sit on a rug to sit through the entire mass um and like was just expected to like obey their parents because apparently there's a passage in the bible about obeying your father or something like that and people take that very literally there is a there is a passage about that um so that's hilarious (laughs) um sorry not to minimize like i don't interesting not hilarious gentle and kind it's interesting. Yeah. That was not my experience in the slightest. Yeah. Um, my mother is a speech pathologist and is a pediatric speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. So she has a lot of um, understanding and background in child development. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my interest and why I pursued the career I did came from um, her work and conversations I had growing up about all these things that I found fascinating, yeah. even as a child, learning about child development. So, um, no, I have no experience with that. That was not how I was raised because uh, it it doesn't work. Children don't obey. That's just generally not the vibe. Um, there is an old, like, so the Bible is, um, the Christian Bible is separated into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The obeying your father stuff is in the Old Testament, which is the more punitive, like, rule-based. And then there's the New Testament, which is the Jesus part. There's no Jesus in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christians, as followers of Jesus, tend to focus their efforts on the New Testament. Um, and Jesus is all about bring me your children 
um, teach them and like that like it's all about children are beautiful and special and important and need to be cared for and looked after. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that first time discipline based on your description would fit um, what Jesus has to say. Um, But as I said, coming at this uninformed, feel free to correct me Mm -hmm. or come at me with whatever information and I'm open to dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, that was not my experience growing up Um, in my family anyway. It was kind of the rule, quote unquote rule, that um, before your first communion, which was about seven or eight, Mm -hmm. You um, weren't a full member of the church, which kind of meant in terms of how my parents addressed things was that we were there to um, be part of the community, but we weren't required to sit still for an hour because that's not how that works. So we were, we usually had coloring books on the floor. Um, Mom usually separated us because we'd squabble um, because that's how siblings work. Um, We, I have memories of like walking up and down the um, the chairs, smiling at old men and old ladies, um, shaking my hand and just loveliness. And then when we got a bit too rowdy, mum or dad would take us outside and then we'd pick flowers in the garden. Like I just have lovely memories of, but then once we had our first communion, mum um, and dad sat us down and explained that we were full members of the church and that that required us to listen and pay attention and um, take on board what we can and if we had any questions we could talk with them afterwards about it which we did um, so my parents had a very Jesuit kind of approach which um, historically the Jesuits um, who are a type of priest within the Catholic faith um, approach things very um, intellectually very theologically mm. so it's things are questioned and thought through in um, real philosoph- philosophical terms mm. um, so that was kind of the background that I was raised in. That's really, really interesting. And I'm sure it's a very different experience for all sorts of different Catholics. And it's really interesting and Christians and any other religion as well. Um, and I'm, it's really interesting how this same text, this same doctrine can be interpreted in so many different lights. And the way that we practice these things mm. can be so incredibly different um, that for some people it can be taken to this really extreme place and for other people it's really like this lax and fle- flexible thing because it's more about the the overall overarching spiritual beliefs and things like that. So that's really interesting. Um, we're not going to get too much into the taboo of it. Um, I will ask a couple of like touchy topics um, based on your parents' beliefs who they sound like they're a bit more um, Catholic, I guess, than you are. Um, which tends to be the case a lot, I think, now with um, as as we get down the dinner generations that like um, that rigid um, adherence to old school kind of Catholicism seems to be letting go um, as the world is changing, which is really interesting to see. But for your parents, um, when you were raised, what did they teach you about things like LGBTQIA plus um, communities? Mm. Yeah. That's, oh, wow, this is heavy. Oh, gosh. I I had so many and continue to have, not heavy, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. And I preface this with um, these are my versions and rememberings Mm -hmm. of my conversations with my parents, which is not their views per se, and I can and might get things wrong. Um, But it's been really interesting because those conversations and views have changed over the years. Um, and I reflecting on the, anyway, I'll, I'll jump into it. So I remember, so I was born in the, I was born in 89. So, um, 
AIDS and like the um, oh, HIV yeah. uh, pandemic um, had my that was obviously my parents' knowledge, and I didn't know about any mm-hmm. of that until I was kind of a early teenager. Um, but that was the kind of background of my parents coming into having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had so many interesting um, conversations. So my parents' modern day views about um, LGBT um, IAQ plus, I think I got a lettuce community, mm-hmm. um, are really um, open and loving. They, my, of the conversations we've had, it seems to be that they view, um, they don't view it as a choice. They view it as a way you mm-hmm. are. They view it as um, an unfairly difficult life because of societal pressures. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we've had a few conversations about, um, there's been little things like, oh, when Timo grows up and gets married, finds a lovely lady and I say or man and they say yes yes but we don't wish that and I say why don't we wish that that's fine we're happy with that and they go oh his life would be harder and of course you don't wish that and I'm like what like wearing glasses is harder and mom's like exactly (laughs) she goes I don't wish that you that you can't see (laughs) this is and I was like okay good just just so we're clarifying yeah Yeah, we don't we don't wish for uh, Um, anything that makes our child's life harder I guess and unfortunately at this point in time, being a member of the LGBTQIA plus community is harder. But the hope is that by the time our children grow up, it isn't harder. It's 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 normative and it's it's just the same. And like unfortunately, yes. not unfortunately, that burden comes to us to make it very normal and raise this generation of children seeing it as normal. So anyway, cool. Exactly. Ex- no, exactly. And I think I I guess a big part is that during our lifetime that we have a lot more um it's much more open in that like in the community we see people living healthy happy fulfilled Mm -hmm. lives um and live their life openly and freely as a member of that community Mm -hmm. um whereas obviously historically for our parents they've seen because of the the shame and the stigma and the the cruelty Mm -hmm. they've seen a lot of people who are part of that community yeah be affected by those things so I guess they come at it with a more complicated view yeah if that makes sense I don't not to minimize or that they've they've seen more of the pain whereas we've seen more of the progress yes absolutely we like we stand on the shoulders of giants when it comes to like progress in in this community like the the people that came before us um, paved the way just like women did done yeah, the work. like women really paved the way for us exactly. to be you know working mothers or stay-at-home mothers and to have no shame about either of those things and there's still a long way to come but like we're definitely like like things are not the way they used to be um okay so that's cool so if that was like you were like clearly there's no like dissonance there between the way that you were raised and then the way that you're raising Timo so can you give me a bit of background about like what kind of like what what's your spiritual belief at this point and like yeah oh such a good question I don't know mm. um so as we talked about before we started recording mm-hmm. I identify as culturally Catholic mm-hmm. so um I don't go to church mm-hmm. uh, much to my mother's consternation uh um we have little tips gentle kind <laughs> tips about that she doesn't love that I don't go to church but I don't um and there's lots of reasons for that uh partly there's there's a lot I don't agree with the church um there's a lot that I do agree with um I agree with the more gentle gen, um general ideas of compassion and care and um empathy and 
doing what you can for others Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of things. There's some specifics that I think we don't need to focus on. Like, like, and I I think this is a big part of it. Like I truly, so the the religion um, and the the culture and Catholicism that my parents were raised in is very community based. Mm Yeah. So um, you attend mass to be a part of community and to um, to um, worship and pray and gather as a community to experience mm-hmm. um, the divine in humanity. So there's a whole bunch of theology behind there that I won't unpack. But I view my um, spirituality as much more individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had lots of really awesome in-depth conversations with some of my siblings about this stuff but I view my spirituality as between me and whatever's there I don't um, so after having had Timo I kind of got in not, I didn't get into Buddhism but I did mm-hmm. a lot of reading on uh, mindfulness and Buddhist practices mm-hmm. to try and help calm my overactive Absolutely. Um, nervous system uh, and it's it was quite, I found it really amusing because so many of passages and the, the teachings I was learning I'd come to my mom and be like hey this is what you taught me are you Buddhist and she went well no but this is and we had some really like in-depth theological discussions about how at the root of it so so much of religion is the absolutely same. it's about connecting with um, a divinity within humanity mm-hmm. it's about finding um, the the kind of core of what it means to be human and how that connects to a mm-hmm. higher consciousness and kind of higher connection to mm-hmm. others. Um, and yeah, like, and particularly my, my parents, they were raised Catholic, but they kind of really grew into their own Catholicism as adults in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, which in Australia at that time, there was like a real big Buddhist influence. Oh, cool. um, so, so much of, and which ties into the Jesuit influence mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff where I'd be like, um, you just use different words to explain the same idea. And mom's like, yeah, pretty much. It's like, okay, well, that's a bit of a mind pen. Um, I thought that this was, yeah, anyway, it's just been really, really interesting to re-experience some of this stuff as an mm-hmm. adult. Cause so, and my mother told, she said this to me with respect, but she rightly said like so many of my ideas around Catholicism and religion are quite childlike because the last time I engaged with a lot of these ideas was as a child. And a lot of the last time I questioned these things was as an adolescent mm. and a child before I kind of stepped away. But I'm planning, starting to re-explore, partly because I find so much comfort in the Absolutely. rituals of my, um, of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Like I have so many amazing memories of, I mean, it helps that we use a lot of candles and fire. And <laughs> as we've talked about, in past uh, podcasts, I love. I know fire. you do I'm your pyro. pyro. <laughs> I, I love it, and there's a lot of fire and candles and stuff in um, in our rituals for lots of reasons mm. that go back centuries and centuries. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I've I've digressed. How does that affect raising Timo? So I we've had Timo baptized in the Catholic mm-hmm. faith. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> um, partly. <laughs> I I I I've had I've um questioned myself on this so many times. Partly it's about continuity of culture for Yes. Me. It's about Absolutely. I was baptized, my mother, my grandma, like I can count back like ten mm. generations. This is what my family does. It feels does. right for you. So it's all important. Yeah. It feels exactly. It feels right. Um 
we intend, my husband went to Catholic schools. He was raised as a bit of a lapsed Catholic, um, but his mother is from an, a Scottish Catholic family, so that's mm -hmm. important and a big part of her culture too. Um, my father-in-law was raised as a um, agnostic, atheist Italian with kind of Catholic sprinklings far out in the far background, um, but there's no real, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so Timo um, has been baptized. He um, hasn't been to church. I don't really see how there's any point. He doesn't sit mm -hmm. still anywhere, let alone mm -hmm. in mass. Um, but, yeah, he probably will go to Catholic schools. We haven't quite talked about that. My husband went to Catholic high mm -hmm. school. I went to Catholic primary and high school. Um, but, yeah, for me it's a lot about community. It's about viewing the world mm -hmm. um, as, like, being of service to others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, this seems like a really good breaking point because I did a lecture on religion um, at the end of last year. So I'm going to run through my notes really quickly and give you a really quick like a nerding out Ooh. overview of how religion Love originated, it. how we understand it from the developmental perspective. And now please know that I say this with the most um, scientific perspective. I am not trying to infringe on anyone's beliefs. Um, this is coming from a really like um, unbiased perspective, given that I am an atheist, I have no stake in any given religion, um, but I also don't begrudge. Can I do a quick yeah. caveat? So again, this is said with love. <laughs> I have found that most researchers who study religion mm -hmm. don't have a personal experience of religion, yes. which is fine, but it means sometimes it comes without context Absolutely. and without understanding. Yes. Like I've spoken to um, religion researchers mm -hmm. And explained my my perspective of a funding, yeah. and they're like, "What? Catholics don't yeah. do that." I'm like, "I'm a Catholic, and I do that." Yeah. So um, there's a billion Catholics mm -hmm. in the world. There are a billion Muslims mm -hmm. in the world. They're, we don't all do the same. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I know we've we've talked about this, and you completely yeah. understand. But just to um, broader context, yeah. that there's nuance that will be. Yeah, and same. actually, we're not talking about any specific religion at all. To be honest, we're just talking about how religion as a mm. concept um, is embedded in children so early in life and how it uh, perpetuates across cultures. Because what you guys might not know mm -hmm. is that although it feels like there's not as many religious people in the world, but uh, more than eight in 10 actually identify with a religious group. And there is only 2.4% of the world that is atheists um, and the other like 18% or whatever are agnostics. Um 20% of the world is Muslim, 13% is Hindu, 17% is Roman Catholic, um, and so on and so forth. So already we have like this really widespread idea that like religion isn't just like on its way out. It's still really well held across the world. It might just be held in a different way. Um, now what's really interesting is that I can be pretty confident that if I asked you where you grew up, I could probably guess your belief system if you have one. Um, and that's probably because if you grew up in South America, you're very likely to be Roman Catholic. If you grew up in Australia, you're likely to be Protestant or Christian because we're highly influenced by the culture that we're embedded in for deciding on our religious belief. And that's got a lot to do with our parents because as with all things, there's this thing called cumulative culture. And that's the idea that we passed information down to our direct descendants. And who are our direct descendants? Well, they're our kids. So if you're the child, your parents are gonna pass information down to you. And generally, it's going to be the same information of those around them because it's a community-based thing as well. So, um, my headphones are about to run out of battery, which is unfortunate, but we will 
move along anyway. So there's a lot of reasons. Maybe that's God cancelling them. (laughs) I'm joking. It's one of the deities not happy that we're talking about all deities (laughs) under a specific uh, ambiguous term. Um, or the they're getting jealous, <laughs> and we're not talking about any gods here. We're actually talking about why humans choose religion to begin with. Um, now, if I asked you why um, you think religion is so important, or why you have religious belief, or why it's so prevalent, um, things you might say is because it's a sense of belonging, it's community, it's a fear of death, it gives you purpose, it gives you faith, it's culture. Um, these are the main themes that I usually pull out of my students when I give this lecture. And what's really interesting is that humans find randomness really aversive. Like we don't like randomness. So we need something to explain the randomness. Um, and yeah, humans are pattern seeking creatures. We, we seek meaning even when we're trying not and to. And it doesn't matter like what kind of religious belief system you have, whether it's, um, you know, fate or destiny. These things are really well held. They've been passed down from generations. And as science has like progressed, yes, we've kind of handed over the randomness away from supernatural deities to scientific explanations. That's why science has progressed so much because we have this hunger to learn. Um, so it's kind of comedic that like religion and science are actually progressing together um, because they're motivated. And they're two, two sides of they the same are. They're motivated by the same thing and that's randomness, right? Um, so yeah, we have like this drive to explain randomness and for a long time and still now, um, we use supernatural deities to do this, or at least I say this as an atheist. Um, I mean, there's a lot of other reasons. <laughs> the, 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 the collective way. Yeah, the collective way. Um, okay, so I can give you a quick example of an experiment where this kind of proves that people um, need to believe in um, some, actually, no, I'm going to skip that because that's a bit annoying unless I have slides in front of you. Okay, um, so why else do we have like religious belief? So it's obviously a sense of community. And that's one of the things that I think that as an atheist, we kind of miss um, a little bit in our family is that we'd have to make our own sense of community, our own village. um, And like we need a different like um, kind of glue to stick us together if we don't have religious belief. Because when you have a shared ideology, it makes it really easy to relate to people Um, and to make this community and village. But it also does something else. It's like the the belief in supernatural deities is this like supernatural police force. Like it's this thing that keeps you good, quote unquote, good, whatever, um, even when no one else is around to watch you. Because what we know, even for kids, is that if there is someone watching you, Mm. um, you are less likely to cheat. This is such a fun experiment to do with kids. Is awesome so fun Um, so when you put a kid in a room and you're there and you tell them don't cross this line and you give them like an impossible task of throwing balls in this like teeny tiny little hole what they'll do is they'll get really frustrated but they're very unlikely to cross that line now if you leave the room 
What what age group are these? Kids? I think they're actually up to six or seven. Like it's hilarious. Okay. Um, now, if you leave yeah. the room and you don't tell them anything about anyone being in there, what you'll find is that they'll cheat. <laughs> like if they know there's no one watching them, and we watch them through two way mirrors, and it is hilarious. Um, you'll see that they walk straight over the line. I've seen kids pick up entire buckets of balls, walk across the line, tip them in, and you'll walk in and you go, "Wow, how'd you go?" And they'll do, they'll go, "Great," and you ask them like did you cheat? And they'll be like, of course not. Because like, don't invite a kid to cheat. It's mean. Um, but of course they won't tell you because what you've done is you've actually motivated them to cheat. What's the point of cheating if you're telling everyone that? Yeah. And the reason we like, the reason they cheat is because be sneaky. we like give them a reward of um, like stickers. We're like, uh, like the more balls you get in, the more stickers you get. And kids are highly motivated by stickers. They are a great currency for children. Anyways. So that's really interesting. If you're there, they don't cheat. If you're gone, they do cheat. Now, what was really fun is that in one study, they said that there was either a like person watching on a camera and that was enough for them to be like, oh, I'm not going to cheat. And what else they did was they said that there was a like there was like a supernatural person that could see in the room at all times. So it wasn't someone watching via mm. camera. It was just someone watch someone that could that monitors the room like a supernatural deity. And children don't cheat. If they think there is a supernatural deity or like some kind of ghost, basically, it was like it was some like special wizard mm-hmm. man that was yeah. There's two in charge. There's of the two room, studies. Right? So that's the friendly professor that Rowan published recently. We can link that yeah, in the bio. Um, I don't think he actually replicated this effect, but I think it was tricky. Um, it was actually um, ugh, I can't remember the experiment, but they called the de- they told the supernatural agent Alice. <laughs> so, um, anyways. So kids didn't cheat when a supernatural agent was quote-unquote watching them. Um, And this same logic can be applied to the reason that we have supernatural deities. It's a way to keep people adhering to the rules um, even when no one else is observing them. Um, It's a way to keep people good and honest um, and to avert sin. It can be viewed as like a a social tool, Mm -hmm. yeah, a social tool to help uh, like what's the right word? Help kind of modulate or um, not police. That feels too strong. But That's I mean, what I said. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's a, t- a social tool to help. Yeah, it's a social tool to help keep people in yes, line. Yes, this is exactly right. And this doesn't just apply to children. I guarantee you, this works with adults too. Because they did an experiment where um, they got adults in a room and they had to do a test. And the experimenter like left the room um, and very clearly took the answer sheet and put it in a drawer where the like, participant could see it. Now, if there was nothing in the room, um, participants were told, like, you know, whatever, like, I'm, I'm, I'll be right back. More times than not, participants would go and get that answer sheet and cheat because the task was really hard. Now, if they were told upon walking to the room that this hallway was, like, this, this building was haunted by a ghost, they were less likely to cheat I haven't heard this. So good. I haven't heard this condition. <laughs> that I haven't heard this part of this study. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just haunted. It's just a haunted, haunted hallway. That's all yeah. they're told. And, and it's not even that it is haunted. It's like I've heard lots of people talking about the fact that this 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 um, building is haunted. And then they're like, okay, oh. so so it's a rumor mm-hmm. that the building yeah. is haunted. And then they were like, okay, amazing. let's see if like they'll do something else really silly. They printed out some eyes. And they stuck them to the wall. Mm. And if there were eyes stuck to the wall, a... they wouldn't cheat. 
Just Amazing. a picture of us. Is this, um, where, where was this study um, done? This study, um, I don't know. I don't have the reference in here. I'm a terrible lecturer. I No, not at all. I So the only reason I ask is that yeah. I know for a fact that in the United States, there's a much higher belief in um, yes. ghosts. Yes, um, it would have been done in the US. Angels, Absolutely. all these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, as we know, science is weird. Right, yeah. Just because it's know, mostly yeah. done in the US, like ninety nine percent of research is conducted in the US, so it's very likely been conducted in the US. It's just hilarious. So, yeah. like this idea that like someone is watching you mm. keeps you honest, um, and it's just it's like the lightest pressure. Like a picture of eyes on the wall is enough. A picture yeah, of is eyes is enough pressure yeah. for you not to cheat. And I mean, unless you're someone like me, Amazing. where I can't cheat or lie or do anything, regardless of whether anyone's watching me, because I've got this weird internal. Hilarious. I think I would still I, cheat. Nah. I couldn't cheat even if I was in the normal condition. I would just panic and I would feel so bad and my anxiety, I hate it about me. It makes me very anxious all the time. (laughs) When I say, I'm sorry, I don't love that it makes you anxious. I find it incredibly interesting. Um, I, so complete side note, my family is obsessed with Wordle. We've got a family chat that we share our Wordle results. Like it's highly competitive. I'm very frustrated that I'm not winning. I'm not even close to winning. I do very poorly because I'm very impatient and I just guess words and I'm not strategic about it. <laughs> Me neither. Um, I know. And like, I really should be because my two sisters are dominating the game mm-hmm. um, and it's really affecting my identity as a person who's good with words, yeah. but I've just decided to let them have it Yeah. because my younger sisters don't always win things and they're brilliant at this game. Anyway, mm-hmm. all of this aside, um, there's uh, a lot of um, contention because my mum she doesn't cheat at all. She's she's like you. She couldn't cheat if her life depended on it. She's incredibly like um, lots of integrity. But she also loves to give clues. Oh, um, so she'll help other people which, cheat. Yeah, which is her. Yes, Mate. yes. But she doesn't. It's hilarious. So the other day I was, um, we turned up to mum's house at nine because Tima was awake mm. early and we just, anyway. So we were there early before everyone had completed their wordle. And because um, literally as, as soon as someone's done it, they share it to the family chat. Oh. Um, but I walked in and, um, mom, I know mom and dad had done it and I went, oh, so, um, how's the word all work today? Any, any hints? You want to help me cheat? Wouldn't it be hilarious if I got it in one guess? Cause you would get six mm-hmm. guesses to guess the word. Wouldn't it be hilarious if I get it in one guess and then all the others will like lose their minds that I did so well. And my mother looked horrified and appalled that I would cheat and, um, and rig the system in this way. But then proceeded to give me such specific clues that she basically helped me cheat. She wasn't trying to; she just cannot help herself. Um, and she's like, "There, there is a double letter today." Oh, and and I said, "Okay, based on the English language, it's probably an L, a D, or a T." And she said, "It's one of those." And I'm like, "Catherine, stop it! You are, <laughs> yeah." But then she literally cannot help herself. I was like, hmm, "Hmm, I wonder if it's D." And then her eyes light up. Um, and then I just asked like two more questions. I was like, you've given me the word. So I got it in one, like I had hoped I would put it out. And all of my siblings are like, what, what? That's crazy talk. How did you do that? You must've cheated. And I went, you guys know me very well. Yes. And, <laughs> and went on to explain, explain the, the story. But, um, yeah, it's anyway, Wordle's the best. Um, it's, but I also, now I've decided not to, um, in an effort to protect my ego, I don't um, share my score because I do so badly. So I just don't tell anyone how badly I do. And I congratulate my siblings when they do very well. My sister got it in two That's today. That's a lot. That's very high. High achieving. I hate high achievers sometimes. Anyway, sorry. 
absolute, <laughs> absolute sidebar. Sidebar, but totally fine because, Siobhan, the next study I've got to tell you about is actually about theory of mind and how it develops with yeah. God and mum. You sound like you know all of these already. Did you give this lecture at one point? Like, No, but I could do. Actually, maybe you probably I did. did. Yeah. Ten years ago. Oh, that's no, probably not that long ago. You're not that old. Um, no. Anyways, so no, let's. No. The wrinkles say <laughs> otherwise. Kidding. Siobhan, you are not that old. You would have been like 22. You would have barely started your PhD or if you had started your PhD at that point. Um, Okay, anyways. Uh, I think so, Oh, my God, we are so distractible. Anyways, I'm going to get back to the theory of mind experiment. So if you guys don't know what theory of mind is, it's the ability to take the perspective of someone else, to like think into like what knowledge they have in their mind. Now, this develops at like mm, around four, usually before they're four, they seem to think that everyone else has the same knowledge as them. So the classical experiment is like um, crayons in a Band-Aid box. Like you show them a Band-Aid box and you go, what do you think's in here? And they'll go, Band-Aids, duh. Um, and then you'll open it and show them and they're like, oh my God, it's crayons. And then you go, okay, now like I'll bring someone else into the room. This person hasn't seen what's inside this box. What do you think? What do you think they think is inside this box? And they'll be like crayons, duh, if they haven't passed theory of mind yet. But if they have passed it, they'll be like band-aids because, you know, they didn't see what was inside the box. Um, and yeah, this is a really old school classical test. Anyways, um, where it gets really fun and cool is when you include God. Um, so when you include God, what they find is that if you ask them, what would mum thinks inside the box, they'll do like the classical theory of mind thing where they haven't passed, where they'll say, you know, it's, it's crayons, but it's not, it's that mum would think it's band-aids. And if you ask what would God think, they'll say it's crayons because they haven't passed theory of mind. When they're over five, they will say, so mum, what do you think mum thinks is inside this box? The child will say band-aids because they've passed theory of mind. So mum doesn't know it's actually crayons inside the band-aid box. But when they ask, when they're asked what would God think, they say crayons. So there's a big difference here between um, what they think normal people thinks inside the box versus all seeing entities like an all-knowing God. All-knowing. Yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting that even at five, they start like reasoning about that's very internalized this idea about these supernatural deities at this point so yeah this starts to develop really early in life and that's really interesting to think about um but they also apply this to um like supernatural characters as well um so if there's someone who is like super smart um they will think that um he knows that there is crayons in the crayon box um okay yeah it's really interesting like how it changes and if there's someone who can see through things like a superhero with laser vision like they'll think they know what's in the crayon box as well so it really applies for all supernatural deities with like extra like terrestrial knowledge whatever it is yeah yeah so it's just that they're raising about um god in the same way as other supernatural agents based on like the foundation Mm. yeah because they because kids have wonderful imaginations and take things at face value so when they get told that superhero has laser vision they believe it and based on the the parameters of that information it's a very sensible conclusion absolutely um now i'm just having a look through my notes to see if there's anything else that's really interesting um, I have a really random tidbit here and it's like um, about religious stories. 
uh, and how like they're not based off a of fact, right? Like some people believe that they're based on fact, others don't. But one that's really interesting is the parting of the sea. Well, so I'll share what my parents told okay. me and then you can share what you do. Okay. So um, my family is very science minded, which is kind of where my mm-hmm. name for my business came from. Um, and so my dad is a timber tech, well, no, he's retired now, but he was like a timber scientist. He studied timber and wood and carpentry, um, for the government to, and then like with plantations. Anyway, science man, my grandfather was a scientist, um, agricultural scientist. My mum is science minded. <laughs> anyway, so they, they were very like into, um, like scientific explanations for things, including the stories mm. in the Bible. So we were told that it was quite likely that um, there was a fast tide change. Mm-hmm. So um, that Moses mm-hmm. was aware of when the tides changed and that the Egyptians were not oh. and that he got everyone to cross at, at when there was a sandbar available um, and that the tide came in really quickly and then drowned the Egyptians. That is very, very compelling of an argument, actually. Um, there's a, a study that was published in PLOS One um, by Drews and Hahn, and the title of it is Dynamics of Wind Setdown at Suez and the Eastern Nile Delta. And basically it says that wind setdown is the drop in water level by, caused by wind stress acting on the surface of a body of water for an extended period of time. As the wind blows, water recedes from the upwind shore and exposes the terrain that was formerly underwater. Previous researchers have suggested wind setdown as a possible hydrodynamic explanation for Moses crossing the Red Sea as described in Exodus 14. So so intense wind patterns changing. Potentially, yeah. So by all means, there is a supernatural explanation for it. But as humans hate randomness and sometimes supernatural explanations are just another random explanation, uh, scientists step in and go, well, it could have been this. So there's multiple reasons why. Either way, there could have been a A a good bloke called Moses who led um, his people out of Egypt and capitalized on a natural weather event that he knew existed um, that the others did not, and he used that to his advantage, um, which is really, really interesting. This this podcast is very random at this stage. that's okay. But yeah, I think um, for us, what else do I want to talk about? I'm trying to figure out what else. This is a two hour lecture that I have literally only just opened to skim through for the first time uh, since last year. So I'm trying to figure out if there's anything else that's really interesting um, about it um, for you guys. But I don't know if there is. Um, no, I think we'll stop there for a bit. There's obviously like the ritual kind of stuff, but the ritual stuff, is really heavily embedded in the work I do um, and in social learning. So it might be better off talking about ritual later, but basically like, um, as we know, religions are like, like uh, drowned in ritual. Like it's something that humans do. Um, And it turns out that rituals are passed down really, really well. Uh, And it's because when there isn't a, like, a a reason for why that action appears to be completed humans attribute it to something of a higher power that they don't understand and rather than like getting rid of those behaviors it's looking redundant they actually practice them with so much like rigor and faith that they'll actually over practice them as well and those rituals will expand over time Mm. and we see this in really little kids 
Uh, and this is what my this ties into all the over imitation. This is literally stuff. what my my postdoc and part of my PhD was on because I tried to see if kids would do this with robots as well to see if robots could be part of this like transmission of cultural knowledge across generations in the future because like cumulative culture is really important for how um, humans know so much. Uh, and one of the very first videos I posted mm-hmm. on TikTok that was evidence based was about how your child. Um, could invent the iPhone and it has a lot to do with cumulative culture that's the accumulation Mm. of knowledge over um, generations Generations. like we don't discover all knowledge from scratch we don't discover fire and wheels every time a new generation occurs like a lot of other species of animal do Um, we Mm. actually pass that knowledge down which makes humans pretty special and primates um, I'm so sad that we're not recording another podcast today because I'm so excited to talk. We about can all this absolutely stuff. talk about we'll, it next week. We'll record all of this stuff another time. <laughs> yes, but no, I know, I know yeah. you have to go. But um, oh, I love mm, this. Stuff. Me too. Me too. Stuff. Right. So, like, I did this. <laughs> That's why you've made a career just out of it. Just a little bit. I did this with robots, and then got a postdoc like grant approved to do this for another two years. And what we found was that kids actually do actually like engage in rituals disseminated so like originating with robots they just don't do it quite as strongly as with humans but they'll still do like silly redundant actions that they know aren't like part of it they just don't do it as strongly and that's really interesting because it means that kids are so like um like stringent motivated yeah they're so motivated to like copy things that they don't see a reason for that they'll do it in spite of that and they do it from like two years old um So humans are just like, they're just geared this way, which is why religion is so prevalent, which is why so much of the world has religion. Um, And look, this could be super offensive to people who have religious beliefs and feel like their beliefs are the right ones. So I apologize if I offended anyone, but as a scientist and a psychologist and just a human behavior, kind of like anthropologist, I find all of this so interesting. Yeah, my belief is um, yeah. mostly um, that it's all social learning and, accumul- and cumulative culture and it's so interesting. Um, but yeah. I don't actually – so as, as someone who I, – so I, I, I'm not, I don't identify as religious myself, but I don't see how those two things are incompatible. No, I don't think they are incompatible, but I do think that – I think they're perfectly compatible. I do, however, think that um, for some people their religious beliefs are so tied to their identity that it can become quite a threat on themselves yeah. for people to disagree with them. Absolutely. Um, it's very kind of you to consider this. I would hope to. I, I try to consider everyone's perspective in all that I do. Um, and if I haven't, I let my followers yell at me and then I learn from that and I do better um, because my followers know that I love Perfect. being yelled at because I actually do. I love being criticized. I mean, we're scientists, like academics. You send out your like work that you've worked on for so many years and you send it out to other experts in the field who also have stakes in this. They usually are doing similar work and want their work to come out first and then they slam your work and they're so mean. So we're very mm. used to being criticized. <laughs> Happy to be yes. yelled at. Would prefer if you did it nicely. Yeah, please don't be rude. But like, also, I get it. I'll listen and I'll do better. Like, I this is how my this is how we work. So, yeah, we're like the perfect people to be on social media. I think because like, when you tell us, like, I did block someone earlier. This oh, week. really? Oh, was it the person about? Yeah, yeah but we can. Okay. We can talk about that. Actually, <laughs> let's let's jump straight yeah. into it. Magic and meltdown. Magic moments. and meltdown moments. I, I didn't melt down. <laughs> okay. I didn't melt down, but it was a bit sad. Um, so I did a post about breastfeeding mm-hmm. and the the image of the post was um, on the left-hand side, formula-fed babies, on the right-hand side, breastfed babies, and that they, they both end up eating French fries from the, um, from the car mm-hmm. floor. 
And my general sentiment was, and in and was this was extrapolated in the post, talking about how breastfeeding is great, it's a biological norm, it's how we evolved, it's wonderful. I support it, I did it, I was breastfed, I think breastfeeding's great. Mm-hmm. However, for lots of different reasons, not everyone can or does breastfeed. Mm-hmm. And in those instances, formula is a wonderful substitution that allows children to grow and be healthy and be safe. And that I support mothers to do whatever works best for them and their mm-hmm. family. So some people felt that my post was inaccurate, questioned my validity as a scientist, mm-hmm. questioned <laughs> the validity of my post as a scientific case, said that if you're science-minded, you should ha- your post the, the picture, not just the writing, but the picture in the post should say that formula babies um, are obese, uh, <laughs> increased rates of cancer, um, and that breastfed babies have better immune systems. Like, and the thing is, some of those things are based in science. That's true. But I pointed out to this person that there's plenty of science and neuroimaging studies to show that if you shame people and um, tell them that they've made terrible choices for their families and, um, yeah, just are, are cruel and unkind, that's really bad for them and their mental health, which is in turn bad for their child. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, there were a few people I had some really, um, I wouldn't say productive, but interesting conversations mm-hmm. with, and they were open to conversation, which I was very grateful for. There was one lady in particular who was blocked who um, finished her comment thread about why are you even here? I'm done with this argument. I'm like, this is my page, lady. <laughs> where, where else am I supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> where, where, this where is my business. <laughs> anyway, she refused. Totally. She refused to engage um, privately or even privately and would just shut down everything. And um, Mm. and, yeah, Uh, and she was just trolling. Mm -hmm. And I assume that she's got some good reasons to be as passionate as she Mm -hmm. is, which I support, but I don't support her um, going after people, um, particularly people who were very honest about the reasons and the pain that Mm -hmm. they had about not being able to breastfeed. Um, Anyway, yeah, she got blocked Mm -hmm. because... I can't handle that. No, I, I can handle mm-hmm. it, but I'm not going to put that on a, um, a mum in my comment thread, or my comments, mm-hmm. who um, is just trying the best mm-hmm. she can. I love how, like, oftentimes drama on Instagram also ends up as drama on TikTok. I don't know if they, like, if, if like, the feeds, like, talk to each other or something or if, like, people are crossing over. But at the same time that your post came up and there was drama, I also had, like, videos on my feed talking about, like, the formula feeding versus breastfeeding drama. And I was like, this is really co- coincidental. Oh. Um, formula feeding's a thing at the moment. There was a, there's been a formula. That's recall, right. Um, a recall of one mm. of the formula. Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of... Well, see, formula's the devil, Mm. so that's why. This makes sense. Now, like, I just want to, like, I'm just going to add to this story of yours because, like, you were super diplomatic in those comments and super kind, and I was really pissed off because this one of the people... I deleted a lot of things I typed out and then went, no, that's not helpful. Yeah, meanwhile, I I don't care. Um, (laughs) I'm so much more (laughs) abrasive than Siobhan. You come here for the like well-balanced, calm nature of Siobhan and the chaotic toddler energy that is Kristen uh, and you like it. Now, like what happened? I got all like mama bear because when someone criticizes Siobhan as being not science-minded on her goddamn science-minded page, I get mad. This person said that isn't this meant to be science-minded? The science is clear. Breastfeeding is best. And I was like, um... No, the science is clear that um, parents with impoverished mental health lead to severe implications for infants' social, emotional, and cognitive development. 
There is much science on this. You will not find a single scientist that simply says breastfeeding is best and fuck your mental health. Like they won't say that. And I was very mad. Um, They won't. But I think it was still very kindly worded. I didn't swear at her. It was quite lovely. Um, (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) I was was very mad. And then I did a video on TikTok. Speaking of. Can I share a – oh, I haven't seen it. I'll yeah. have to go watch. Can I share a magic Absolutely. Um, Timo started swearing. Oh, my God. I'm so here for this. Tell me about it. So um, so my husband and I swear quite liberally. Um, but, mm-hmm. like, that's so just we. we're Australian. Yeah. We, it's, part, it's, it's part of the culture. It's colourful. It's, it's how you um, – yeah, it's how you kind of – you add a bit of salt and pepper to your language. Mm. There's a really Emphasis. great um, uh, skit. Yeah, there's a great skit by um, Daniel Sloss, one of my favourite comedians, all about it. He's Scottish. Anyway, sidebar. So um, my husband was uh, cooking some burgers on the barbecue. He dropped one. It fell in the dirt and he went, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Timo looked up and went, oh, fuck. And then my husband went, oh, shit. And he went, oh, shit. Because <laughs> he realised. <laughs> anyway, uh, we thought we got away with it. We came upstairs to eat dinner. Timo dropped his bobcat and went, oh, fuck. <laughs> went, oh, no. At least at least it was in context. Well done. Good language, Lanny. Um, and then... And I know, I know, and he's a total sponge. Like he's his language has always been good, but he's really yeah, upping the vocab at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, and then again, we're like, just don't pay attention, mm-hmm. just uh, give it no attention, like avert their eyes, don't let him see us smiling and laughing. Um, just pretend it didn't happen, and it'll slowly fade away into the background. Mm-hmm. The next morning, exactly the same thing happened. Mm, it's a new word. So we love tw- we love new words. It's a new word. We, of course, will discourage it because whilst we're cool with him swearing at mm. home, yeah, he's not old enough to understand context-specific mm-hmm. language and we'll continue to do these things in daycare, which we don't, like, we don't need yeah. that. I don't need to be pulled aside. And The, novel, the anyway, novelty of it will wear off. I'll let you know how it we goes. We know that, like, novelty is a thing and Hopefully. it'll wear off. I really hope so. I hope it's not one of his favourite ways to express things. But, like, here's the science behind it. Kids actually learn, like, swear words with way better accuracy and way quicker than they learn normal words. And it's because they're usually said with so much expression. They're so emphasized. When you uh-huh. emphasize a word in your speech, they are way more likely to learn that. It's all about natural pedagogy. Anyways, um, that's aside from the point. That can be a topic they're too. so hilarious. We have so, so, many, so topics. many topics. We should write we these down. Though. We won't. I know us. We'll, we just, we'll have a conversation for like a minute before the, before the podcast starts and go, let's just, let's just put this on the podcast. Um, we are terrible Amazing. podcasters. I hope you guys that are listening at home are okay. It's almost 11. You need to go. I know I do. It's okay. We'll get there because um, I'm really enjoying this. I don't think I have a meltdown moment this week um, other than the fact that like at one point on the weekend – my daughter was just so upset for no reason. She was just like feeling gross, I think. Um, and as a result, I was feeling gross. See, Siobhan, this is a video. <laughs> Welcome back. That was an unplanned break because Siobhan decided that she needed to pee without warning me. I really needed, I, I needed to pee. But like, I'm a mother. <laughs> I had a small bladder at the best of times before that. Then I had a small child uh, <laughs> who for nine months used my bladder as a trampoline. It's not in the best shape. No, I know that. But what's really hilarious is that you didn't tell me and you didn't turn your camera off. You thought that I couldn't see you pulling your I pants down, but you. I could see that. So she turned her camera off. We edited Oops. that bit out. It's so fine. We're going to get back to the conversation we were having. Yeah. Um, because what you guys you lose dignity as a mother. So fine. I have no pelvic floor. So, like, yeah, my pelvic floor is not what it used to be. And that's so fine. Um, what you guys don't know is that Siobhan <laughs> always takes me to the bathroom with her at the end of every podcast All so that time. we can finish off our chat. 
usually after we've stopped recording. Always. It's always after. We've... Not, not no. today. No, today we went too long and that is okay. Now, my meltdown moment, my daughter was just feeling gross. I was feeling really gross. Like it had been a long weekend. It had been a long week. We're just in a weird mood. And I was just so over it. I was just trying to unpack the dishwasher and like she'd just been so mad all day. She's like, she's a sensory seeker. She's just, it's endless. Like whatever. And um, what I did was like, you know what? Like I haven't had the carrier out in months. And I was like, you know what? Let's just put you in the carrier forward facing because it seems like you just want to cuddle. And I put the carrier on mm. and I asked her if she wanted to get in it. And she was like, oh, yeah, let's, let's effing do this without actually swearing. Um, <laughs> I put her in and we both just like instantly relaxed. It was like this massive cuddle. And like, I have like a lot of trauma associated with wearing my daughter because like, I, yeah. it was the only way I could get her to sleep. It was exhausting and so painful for my body in like the peak of my postnatal anxiety and depression. And I've like been avoiding it a lot lately. Um, for the last six months or whatever and today I was and that not today the other day I was just like let's just see what happens and it felt good it felt like we both just relaxed and got calm and it was like a nice little cuddle and yeah so that was my meltdown turned into magic moment so magic yeah I'm so happy thank you that's lovely Mm. anyways what a beautiful note to end on it really is from peeing to lovely cuddles this is exactly what it should be about I mean this podcast is for mums and hey if your pelvic floor is not what it used to be welcome to the club we're glad you're here yes we should all be doing (laughs) pelvic floor exercises right now but are we not really um we should get better do you do we should get a guest I'll see oh do I know any pelvic like physio we should we should have a guest talking about pelvic floor stuff because I've got some really cool, interesting things I've learned recently, mm. and I'd love their take. I, it's so it's going to make me feel guilty. Let's add that to the list like, that we don't write it's down. It's going to make me feel guilty for not getting my shit together and doing it. Like no, uh, no, no, no. You've got lots of things going on. I mean, but usually, like you're meant to just do your pelvic floor exercises while doing things. But like, I already multitask enough. Like the mental load of like doing pelvic floor exercises you do a lot is tiring. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's time. You've got a good 60, 70 years left. Don't worry yeah. about it. This is this is very true. 60, 70 years. What, you want me to be 100? That is that's a solid life. I mean, I mean, it's better than less, maybe. Uh, yeah, let's let's not talk about mortality. That's a different episode altogether. Siobhan, <laughs> that's another it is episode. time for us to leave. I'm very excited that you're not taking me to the toilet yes. with you this time because you've already done that. Already yeah, have. I'm very proud of you. Maybe I'll take you with me. How this has gotten really weird. Um, <laughs> Quite. <laughs> have a lovely day everyone <laughs> see you later <laughs> bye bye